Good morning. Um, for those of you who weren't here last night, uh, my name is Pastor Young Kim. I'm actually a pastor in the Philadelphia area, and uh, I grew up most of my life here in the Chicago area, but I moved to Philly around like now 17 years ago, and I'm, I've been there for 17 years. I pastor a church uh, that's uh, at UPenn campus, and then we actually have another site that's happening at Temple Campus and another one uh, for young adult and married couples uh, at a suburb around Philadelphia called Mainline area. And uh, I'm married. I have uh, three kids. Um, amen. You, you, don't sound, you don't look too interested here, so I'm just going to stop. <laughs> Who cares? Okay. You know, actually, uh, I was praying as we were worshiping, and I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch order of my message. So, I mean, I, I was, like, preparing one message all night, and then, like, just about 10 minutes ago, I'm like, no, I think I should speak on this. So we'll see how it goes. We're going to go to Psalm. Um, Chapter 8, chapter 3, Psalm chapter 3. Last night I shared very briefly from Psalm chapter 18 and how I really was asking all of us as Pastor Dave was challenging us to really find that love and that strength that comes from God. And uh, we're going to be, if the Lord wills, we're going to be looking into pretty much Psalms throughout this weekend. And we're going to look at Psalm 3. And uh, this is the first what they call the lament psalms. Uh, there's 150 psalms, and they categorize it in many different ways. Uh, this is the first lament song, as you know, the, the book of Psalm is kind of uh, being expressed here. And so let's read Psalm 3, and uh, we'll read the superscript. That's the little words. It says, The Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift lift up my head. To the Lord I cried aloud, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drown up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen. The title of this message is Arise in God. Arise in God. So let's pray and we'll you know, go into this passage. God, I just want to ask for your spirit to come and minister to us this morning. And uh, I just really pray that you awaken our souls so that we can hear your word and we can see you and that our lives can be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Arise in God. You know, I don't know how your life has been going. Um, this year or the, this past year was kind of our 10th year anniversary for the church that I planted in uh, Philadelphia area. As I shared last night, I was at a Korean American church for six years and I, I ended up leaving because I wanted to reach a more multi-ethnic generation and uh, was away for a year in, in seminary studying uh, urban missions and then went back and then started a church in the Philadelphia area. And this year was our 10th year anniversary and you know, we were celebrating it and it was exciting. I mean, there were some you know, good stuff that God has done. And uh, 
We right now have three sites, as I shared. We actually, about three years ago, planted a church in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, the person who was working with me that I sent down there with 17, uh, about seven guys, they're doing really well. And, uh, you know, he's getting really blessed. And he, he was getting so blessed that he's going to pay for my vacation. <laughs> he's like, Pastor Young, I want to bless you. Come to Atlanta. And he's going to, I'm like, wow, I should plant churches just for that reason, to get, you know, more. I'm actually thinking of maybe planting a church in Hawaii for selfish reasons. Well, because one of my staff, uh, he's a, you know, a Martha, my brother, Indian American. And uh, he actually, his wife is from Hawaii. So I'm kind of enticing him, like, you know, plant a church in Hawaii. Anyway, and it, it, it was a great year, and things were going really well. And, uh, you know, I was flying high, 10th year anniversary, everything was going well. We had so-called all these kind of semi-accomplishment as a church in 10 years. You know, we have reached some multi-ethnicity and, you know, d- did things that we wanted to do and stuff like that. Then around January, I got smacked uh, because one of the uh, ladies that, you know, I've known for like 10 years... Uh, and more than 10 years, actually, I, I knew her when she was in college, and we, she was preparing to go out to China as a missionary. Uh, after one of our uh, retreat came to me and said, you know, I want to talk with you, and I thought it was going to be, you know, kind of like, I know I, I said I was going to go to China for the last two years, but I'm kind of getting cold feet, and, and can you talk to me about it? But she came in, and she just basically said, you know, Pastor Young, I, I love you, I respect you, I, I learned so much from you, but uh, I really feel like I need to leave the church. And it was like, you know, I'm one of those guys that, like, like I think I know what's going on in your mind, but I really don't. <laughs> but I act like I do, then you think I do, and then you tell me things you don't know that you're telling me. Anyway, it's kind of complicated, okay? Uh, and, but, you know, usually I know where my leaders are, and when this person did this to me, it, it really, it was like a semi that hit me from the side. I just never expected it. I mean, we... You know, in November, we had actually taken a trip to China and gone to the places that she was going to go to. Everything was set up. Uh, it seemed like it was going to be just, just the right thing to do. And then it came out of nowhere. And, you know, we sat there for like three, four hours, maybe longer, like talking into the night of the struggles and different things like that. And uh, it really hit me hard. And, uh, you know, after that, actually, she had, you know, a couple other friends uh, that had been with me for like 10 years and they were kind of older sisters, um, you know, past 30-something. And uh, they were really struggling at our church because, you know, our church, like, keeps producing younger people. And, you know, just to tell you a bad story, like, about four or five of them, you know, just decided, you know what, this is not, not our church. And they decided to skip out. And i got to tell you, you know, to be honest, uh, you know, they weren't really the power quote unquote, hitters of our church at the time. I mean, they used to serve a lot, but they kind of were stepping a backseat. So in a function of our church, it really made very little impact. I mean, they weren't leading small groups. They weren't in praise teams. They weren't, you know, doing stuff. But personally, emotionally, for me and my wife, ah, it just ripped my heart out, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. And I'm going like, man, they've been with me for 10 years. And, you know, I it's not like there's anything personally wrong either. Okay? I can invite them to dinner and we like each other and all this stuff. But, you know, they were going and I was like going through this crisis of like, man, maybe I'm just, in, you know, I did something wrong. Or, you know, maybe I could have done something better. and Maybe I could have started PastorYoungHarmony.com earlier. Or, you know, just some, all these thoughts and, you know, and struggles. And um, I'll tell you, I don't know if you go through struggles in your life. But I'll tell you, we all do. And life gets messy, 
And sometimes when struggles come, I'll just say, I mean, even though I'm kind of getting into it right here, I'm, I'm pretty much over it, so I'm all right. You don't have to comfort me, you know. Uh, but life gets messy, and it really, things get really stormy. I don't know if you've ever faced that, and I don't know if you're facing it now. And when it gets stormy, it feels like it just comes at you, and it just doesn't stop. And sometimes it looks like it's going to stop, and you're at the eye of the storm, and then the next phase starts coming at you, and you're like, you know, what, what is all this about? You know, how, how am I going to make it through? And I want to tell you, I think we really get to see what our theology of God is, who this God is of the Bible uh, when we go through storms. We get to see who this Jesus really is when we go through hard times. And that's when we really know if we understood the Bible. That's when we really know what theology we have. Some of us might have sat in, you know, in front of a great teacher or read some great books and, you know, from Piper to other theologians, scholars and all these stuff. We may have all this concept, but you know, we really get to see what is going on and what our theology is when we go through these storms in life. And uh, I want to ask you, when you go through the storms in life, who is your God? Who is this Jesus that you and I say we believe in? And if you don't know Christ here this morning, that's fine. But for those of us who don't know, who do know Christ, who is this Jesus when we go through hard times? Now note, I didn't ask you the question... Uh, do you know why it happened? You know, or how are you going to get out of it? Or you know, uh, you know, who can I reach out to? Because a lot of times when we go through hard times, that's what we think. We're like, how am I going to get out of it? You know, like, you know, how did I get in here? Why, why am I in this situation? Now, all those are legitimate questions. But I think one of the most important questions in the hard times of your life is to go, man, what is this hard time revealing in my heart about the God I trust? You know, what's my theology of this Jesus Christ? And I think that's a place that really tests what our theology is made up of. And uh, we're going to look at David's theology when he was going through a really hard time. And, you know, I, I, I shared with you last night the Psalms, one scholar says, speaks to you. You know, it speaks the Word of God to you and tells you things that we should and ought to do. But one of the things that the Psalms also do, I share with you, as well as all of the Bible, is that it speaks for you, you know. It kind of puts the words that, that's in your heart and that brings it forth. And what's great about the Psalms, I don't know if you know, it is, it's basically poetry. Psalms are songs written poetry. So sometimes poetic ways of expressing things helps us to express what's in our heart. And when I read Psalm 3 and I preached on it, I go, man, I understand what David is going through. You know, I feel like he's expressing what I feel. You know, of course, I'm dramatizing it, but I feel like it's speaking for me. And David is going through a great lament. This is, as I shared with you, the first lament song that we are exposed to in this compiling of the Psalms. What does lament psalm mean? It's a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. Right? Something is going wrong in David's life. And so he's expressing it just passionately with, of, of his grief and sorrow and the struggle that he is going through. What is David going through? What, what's the difficulty that he's going through? Historically, Psalm 3 is written... Uh, in David's time, in David's life, 
uh, that's expressed in 2 Samuel chapter 14 through about chapter 20. So, actually, I, I really want to encourage you after this retreat to read 2 Samuel chapter 14 through 20. Because in that time, this is when David writes this psalm. And uh, what's going on in that particular time? Well, we find out, I'll, I'll talk about it as we go through it. But we find out that David at an old age, all right, um, after he went through a lot of difficult times, but he had established the kingdom. And I don't know if you know about King David. He was the first one that was actually able to unite all 12 tribes of Israel and push the borders of Israel to a place where most of the promised land was conquered. And he was pushing out the Philistines and the Hittites and the Zittites and the Vittites and the Tites of every kind, right? And then he was pushing them all out and he had stabilized the kingdom. There was always war happening in his kingdom because they were always trying to invade or there was a, certain things happening. But he had established this kingdom and at an older age in his life, he had many wives. In fact, if you know, he had a huge harem of wives. And among those wives, there was a, a son named Absalom. And uh, this son, Absalom, it's a complicated story. We'll talk about it a little bit as we go into it. Uh, at this point, as he's writing the psalm, most scholars believe Absalom had started a mutiny and he had basically brought Israel under him and he was chasing after his father. And David was writing the psalm as he was being chased out of his palace, going up Mount Olive, and he's writing the psalm knowing that one of his sons was going to come, take over his kingdom, and most likely kill him. He had just been betrayed. Uh, he was being chased out of his you know, palace, and as he's, right, as he's going away with his entourage of people, he writes this psalm, this lament song, and he is in a lot of grief. Things are not going well in his life and he is expressing that particular grief. And I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you're going through a hard time. But if you're not, let me be a prophet to you. You will. <laughs> All right? I mean, if you're having a great time, and I have to tell you right, right now, even though I'm going to be talking about this psalm, uh, I, I really am having a great time. I'm really thinking about the summer, and I'm enjoying my summer. I mean, I, I just... So in some ways, I'm kind of a little disconnected with this, but I understand this because I've gone through some difficult times. And this psalm is a lament song, and David is in a lot of pain. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to break, it, this, break this psalm into three. Number one, we're going to look at the lament expressed. Then we're going to look at the confidence found. Right? Then we're going to look at the deliverance proclaimed, the lament expressed. Look at David as he starts just crying out to God because he's been betrayed by his own son and his life is in danger. And what he thought he established and that he stabilized was crumbling down before him. Things were going the other way than he had dreamed and visioned. And this is what he says in verse 1 and 2. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Now, first thing to note, as he starts crying out, he's actually poetically playing with this word many in the original language. He says it three times. In verse 1, he says, How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And he's just expressing. And as he says, many, 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 he's just basically saying, I got lots of problem happening. I got mega problem happening in my life. I got... See, I'm not, my vocabulary is not that good. Big, huge <laughs> problem, you know? 
happening in my life. I got many, many things are going wrong and I don't know what to do. And I feel like there's foes all around me. And I'm sure he's thinking about his son and the army his son is bringing. Not only that, if you read Second Samuel chapter 14 through 19, one of his top advisors, one of the guys not only that he trusted but heard a lot about how to run the kingdom, had joined forces with his son. And I'm pretty sure he's thinking about that going, there are many things going wrong and there are many enemies. Even my top advisor had joined this mutiny and they're coming against me. In fact, he poetically describes it really well in the second part of verse 6. All right, Uh, He says, I will, I, I will not fear. Then he says, His tens of thousands draw up against me on every side. Tens of thousands draw up against me every side. I mean, that's pretty good. And he's saying, there's so many of them. And when I look around, it's at every side. I don't know where to go. I mean, there's tens and thousands. And they're not coming on one side. They're surrounding me, coming at me in every side. I got many problems. My son has betrayed me. You know, the guy I trusted is with my son. And things are going wrong. And I am in pain. And he starts to express his lament. Now, I want to stop here and say that, you know, I think that this is healthy. In fact, in the Psalms, there are a lot of lament songs. David and other psalmists write where they're expressing to God the pain that they're in or the confusion that they're in. Or, you know, they're actually, I, I shared it even last night, they express to God the spiritual doubts that they have. You know, but what's amazing about the Psalms is even though they are expressing pain and grief and even doubting God and asking God, God, how come you're not here? I thought you were supposed to show up. You're not showing up. As they're expressing these things, one of the things that the Psalm says, seems to teach is that there's a way of expressing doubt, confusion and pain to God, yet still in a reverent way. It's not that we want to be irreverent to God. It's just that, man, I'm struggling. And I'm, you know, God already knows. And express that from your heart. And I, I, I want to stop here by saying, you got something happening in your life that you are trying to contain? You know? I mean, things are not going well, but you're just trying to put up a face where you don't want to lament. You don't want to say, God, I'm, I'm really confused. Or God, I just feel like my heart's not there. Or God, I just feel like I don't like that guy at church. That's why I'm sitting over here and he's sitting over there. And I'm hoping... Looking around just to check if it's real. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, God, are you, are you expressing, you know, to God what's reality in your heart, whatever is going on? You know, I don't know if you, uh, you know, watch Korean videos. I don't know how I winded up watching Korean videos. You know, now I'm an addict of Korean videos and 24. And, uh, you know, my wife, we, like, we don't watch news. We don't watch anything. We just once in a while watch Korean videos and we watch, uh, you know, 24 at time. And we have this kind of battle because, you know, I, I like 24 a little. You guys know what I'm talking about here? Or am I talking to myself again? <laughs> okay. You know, uh, you know, I want to watch 24 more and she wants to watch Korean video more. Even though I, yeah, I like the Korean video, but I act like I don't like it, but I like it. All right. And, you know, but then with her, with 24, it's like, you know, Jack just kills 20, like thousands of them. And she's like, oh, come on. Oh, come on, she ruins everything, you know, I'm like, and, uh, but you know, if you watch a Korean video, they always have these scenes, I mean, I hope, you know, you guys ever seen, a, if you've never seen a Korean video, it's okay, but they always have this scene where these guys go to this karaoke bar, and they all start singing, you know, they're like, 
And they have this tambourine, and they're singing, and they're singing. And there's always a scene where one of the guy or the girl, you know how it works. He likes her, but she doesn't like him. Or the mother-in-law don't like you. Or somebody has cancer, and everyone's going to die. And if they don't die by cancer, they're going to get hit by a car. You know, something's going to go wrong. And they're singing, and they're like, I can't speak Korean that well. So they're singing, and they're crying. You know, they're like expressing their whatever they're going through, you know. And, of course, that's the moment I go, ah, oh, come on. What is this? Ah, oh, come on. And my wife's like, stop it, stop it. But you know what? I, I, re- I realize, why do they do that? Because there's something about being honest of what the heck's going on in your heart, you know. And, you know, even psychologically, you go to a karaoke bar and you, like, celebrate or you share pain about how that guy don't like you, but you like him, or, you know, how you like him, but, you know, your little sister likes him too, and so it's a lot of complication, and as they're singing this lament karaoke song, right, they feel like something's happening in their heart, and you know what? God, and I don't want to say God's no karaoke machine here, right? That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes we're more honest in front of karaoke than we are in front of God, you know? And saying, God, I'm in a lot of pain. And David says, this is how I feel. I got enemies all around me. God, I got many, many, many enemies. I got my son. I got my top advisor. The whole army, they're coming at me. And I have a lot of pain. And I'm not sure what to do with all the stuff that's going through my heart. And maybe, if you're honest, that's kind of where you need to start at this retreat. And maybe in moments of prayer or as we're singing, you just go, God... And if your heart is, I love you, say it. If your heart is, I'm confused, come to him and say it. If your heart is, God, just, just, I feel like I'm just going through the routine, say it. Whatever is in that heart, he knows anyway. I think you need to be real and express it. Historically, as, as David writes here in uh, verse 2, look what he says. First he says, there are many, uh, there are many, uh, oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Then he says in verse 2, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. I mean, there's, if you put your finger there and you go to Second Samuel uh, chapter 16. I think David's talking as he's writing. I think he's really thinking about this particular uh, situation. 2 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 5. And what's happening here is that David finds out that his son Absalom is coming with an army and betraying him. And he knows that his top advisor is with him and they're coming to the palace. And he's leaving the palace and he's going up a mountain. And as he's going away from the palace, it says in verse 5 of chapter 16, as David, as King David approached and I'm going to pronounce these things wrong because I'm illiterate. Please forgive me, okay? But you try to pronounce these things. Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family, came out from there. His name was Shemi, son of Jerah, and he cursed as and, and he cursed uh, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Though all the troops and the special guards were on David's right and left. 
as he cursed, uh, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have, you have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. Then Abish, Abishai, son of Z, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. Okay. But the king said, What do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeru, 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 Z? Okay, sons of Z. If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? David then said to uh, Abishai and all the officials, My son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life, how much more than this Benjamite leave him, leave him alone? Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. Amen. If you can look up. I mean, this, think about this. Here you are, you built a kingdom, and you've expanded the kingdom, you united the kingdom, you're at an older age, you thought everything was stable, and it's going down. I'm going to tell you, all of us in this room are pretty young, okay? And when things go wrong in our life, especially when we're younger, this is how I used to think when I was 25 or 24. I go, you know what? I got my whole life before me. Yeah, you know, as a minister, I remember when I was 24, youth ministry wasn't going well. I would think, you know what? I'm only 24. Maybe when I get older, things will work better. For example, you know, my son who's six years old. When life is tough, he, you know, he's got his whole life in front of him. When he can't figure out his... Uh, you know, Lego pieces. He's got like many years to figure that thing out. But I'll tell you, one of these days, we're not there yet, we're going to be 50, 60. And we thought everything we established was great. And it all starts coming down. And that's where David was. He was beyond midlife. He was at his end life. And what he thought was good, what he thought he had, he started realizing as he's going off, you know what, I've been a stinky father. My empire is falling apart. And it's not just about Absalom. How can Absalom start a mutiny if David was being the excellent king that he was in the earlier phase of his life? No, it's not just about Absalom. He was doing something wrong in the empire, his kingdom, so that Absalom was able to draw this loyalty and start a mutiny. And he's like, you know, my kingdom is gone. I, I'm, I've been a terrible father. My friend just joined my son. And as he's walking out, this man comes with stones and starts throwing it at him. And saying, cursed are you. And I, I think that's why he writes verse 2. He says, many are saying, God will not deliver you. You made a mess of your life. God will not deliver you. And this guy is pegging David with a stone. And it's really a ridiculous, hum, like humbling experience. Because his two warriors are here. And one of his warriors says, why is that dog doing that? I mean, see, even when David was going out, he had an army next to him. This guy is pegging David, and one of his warriors says, should I cut the guy's head off? You know, can you imagine this guy's throwing the rock at him, and he can't, and then David says, he's so demoralized. At this point, he says, no, maybe God is telling that guy to curse me, because, man, my life is just going down. And maybe in the midst of getting humble like this, God will raise me back up. And so he writes in verse 2, Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And uh, 
I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm looking around. I don't know if any one of you are going through this kind of difficult times. But, you know, we have this ability, at least I do. I know how that feels when I feel like all this stuff I did is not working out right. And it feels like, God, what are you doing? God, I don't think this is how it's supposed to happen. What, what's going on? And he's going through this lament. But in the midst of the lament, we see a confidence that he finds. After he laments and he expresses exactly where he's at, thinking, you know, as he writes his flashbacks of his son and other things, in verse 3 he says this, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. Right? He says, but you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. Suddenly, after he expresses all the pain that is in his life, in verse 3, his theology comes out. And I want to tell you, this is theology. Because right? this is how he feels, not in the midst of good times, but in the midst of a lot of betrayal and things going down. And his, all his effort... Seems like it's not working out. He says, I have many, many, many problems. But then in verse 3 he says, But God, you are these three things to me right now. And again, it's a poetic way. He expresses many three times. Then he says, This is who you are, Lord. You're my shield. Right? Then he says, You're the bestower of my glory. Right? Then he says, You are the lifter of my head. Okay, let's just look at those three identities that David says about his God. He says, you are my shield. That word shield in the original language is the word used not for a, one of those armor shields, you know, because if you ever see that, you know, battles, you know, in, you know, Roman Empire or those old empires, they have one of those shields that cover everything. You know, so you just kind of peek, you know, or when the arrows fly, you just go under that thing. This shield is a smaller shield that blocks arrows as you see it coming. And David is saying, God, you're like a shield to me and you are able to block the arrows that can kill me. See, arrows had already hit David, but he's saying, God, you're that shield that is blocking the arrows that could kill me. You are protecting me, even though there are arrows flying into me. He says, God, you are the shield in my life, and that you effortlessly come, come and block the shield, I mean, block the arrows that can destroy me. And I think this is the picture that we need to have about God. And what David is saying is, there's stuff that has hit me, but my theology says that you're blocking the things that can kill me. You're blocking the things that will really destroy me. You are my shield. I mean, be real with me here. Do you know how hard that is to say when you're getting hit by life? And you feel emotionally and circumstantially that God's not blocking you. You know, you're, it's like playing football and somebody was supposed to block you. <laughs> you get hit. And you're like, you didn't block me, man. I just got hit. I never played tackle football, so I don't know what that is, all right? But, you know, you find out that actually the reason he didn't block you because he was blocking the 500-pound guy from killing you, you know? You're like, what are you talking about? You guys, are you with me here? Right? So what David is saying, you know what? In the midst of pain, it looks like God's not blocking, but he says, you know what? God, you are my shield. You are blocking the things that would destroy me. You block the arrows. Even though some have penetrated into my life, you block the arrows that would destroy me. You are my shield. Then he says, God, you're the bestower of my glory. 
basically, as David is leaving, he's saying, God, you are my glory. All right? You are my glory. Now, I want to stop here and say this. Uh, is God your glory? David says, he looks into his life, and as he's going, he says, you know what? At this point in my life, I realize my family's not my glory because my family's falling apart. My kingdom is not my glory because my, glory, my kingdom is falling apart. My friendship is not my glory because my friends had just betrayed me. And he, as he's going away, he says, but guess what, Lord? Even though my glory is nowhere else, you are my glory. And I, I just want to stop here and say this. Sometimes, one of the greatest benefits of going through a really hard time is we get to this point that David is in. And that is, you know what? If we are believers in Jesus Christ, our ultimate glory is Jesus Christ. Right? That even if everything is taken away, Christ says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Right? You will never be snatched out of my Father's hand. Right? I, we are His glory, but He also is our glory. One of the greatest things that we have ever done, and we didn't do it, He did it for us. One of the greatest things that we have ever done when we finish our life, do you think it's going to be our career? And I hope some of you win Nobel Prizes. You know, I always tell my church, because i got a lot of guys who are well-educated, going to med school and law school and you know, all this stuff. I tell them, I hope some of you become billionaires. Just remember me. <laughs> Right? Remember me, Pastor Young Kim, all right, when you become a billionaire, right? Nothing wrong with that, but I'll tell you, when we reach the end and we look back, do you think our glory is going to be the son and the daughter that I raised? No, I don't think so. The piano or the violin that they played? I mean, that's great. I'm not saying it's wrong. But the greatest glory is going to be that we know Christ, right? And we're going to dwell on that. And David gets to this point where he's got nothing. And he says, you know what? I got nothing. And I don't know if you've ever been there. I, I've never been there yet. And he says, but guess what? You are my glory. And that's what really matters. And I think that is the blessing of when things get stripped out of our life. That actually, our greatest glory is Jesus Christ. It's hard to say this, actually, that God, you are my glory, when we're where we are. I know that some of you are probably having a hard time. I don't even know. But most of us, it's very easy, including myself, to glory on other things, you know, other accomplishment. And I, I'm not saying that we don't gloat over some things that's going well. You know, I mean, it's not like, you know, you just, you know, did a killer, you know, job somewhere, got a promotion. And, you know, you, you don't need to go like, oh, man, I got a promotion. You know, oh, man, this is terrible. No, you know, if you got a promotion, you go like, praise God, you know, and. You know, you boast in God for the promotion. I mean, there's, you know, I'll tell you right now, I, you know, sometimes when life goes bad, I, I just sit around and I just think about my kids because they are kind of like my glory. You know, I'm like, oh, I just love my kids. You know, uh, I feel like, you know, I don't know if all parents feel like this, but I feel like they're the smartest and the cutest. You know, of course I go to all the kids, oh, you're so cute, but in my mind, I'm like, no, mine's cuter. You know, I'm like, terrible, it's terrible, okay? And, um, yeah. I mean, I can glory in a lot. I can glory in my ministry. And sometimes I do. And, you know, it, it just, that's probably the most emotional experience for me as a guy because ministry is my work. You know, it's my calling. It's my blessing. But that's part of where my identity is. Sometimes when I start glorying in that too much, when the ministry goes back, I go down, I go up, I go down, I go up compared to what that does. And what we have to remember is God is your glory. All right? 
God is your glory. And David says, it's not my kingdom. It's not my friends. It's you, Lord. You are my glory. And again, let me just park here for a few more minutes. Many of us in this room, if we're honest, we're slowly forgetting that we really don't need all this stuff. That in the end, God is our glory. And we need to kind of get there. And then the other things that God has blessed us, we need to understand where that fits in the right priority. And David says, this is my theology. In my hardest moment, I realize, God, you are my glory. Third, he says, you're the lifter of my head. You know, and it's a picture way of saying, God, even though right now I am having a hard time and things are not going well, you're going to lift my head. And I, th- I think that's so cool. If I had, like, great ability to write poetry, sometimes I feel like I got this poet living in my heart. But when I try to write, it's like roses are red, violets are blue, only that comes out, or, like, different corny, like, jokes and stuff, all right? But if I, I, I understand, David says, you, you lift my head. And it's a picture, like, when we go through a hard time, what happens? Do, I don't know about you, but when I go through a hard time, you put your head down. You know, man, I got fired. How many of us, if you ever get fired, you go like, yeah, I got fired. You know? you know, how many of us, if you wind up fighting with your spouse, like, yeah, I got into a fight with my spouse. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, when things go wrong, you go down and you're like, oh, man, I don't know why I said that to my wife. Or I can't believe that happened at the church. You're going down. And David says, God, you protect me from the arrow that can kill me. I realize I lost it all, but you're my glory. And then he says, you're going to lift my head. I'm down, but you're going to lift my head. This word, lifter of the head, was used in Genesis 40. When Joseph had, he was interpreting the dream for the, uh, the uh, cupbearer and the baker. And he says to the cupbearer first, he says, You know what? That dream means that the king, the pharaoh, will lift your head. Okay? And what happened to the cupbearer was... Pharaoh remembered, and he brought him back into the prominent position. And then the baker said, oh, what's going to happen to me? And, and then, the, and then uh, Joseph said, well, the Pharaoh will also lift your head, but he's going to lift your head to cut your head. Okay, so it's kind of a scary word, all right, lift your head. But as David uses it, he's saying, you know, God, you're going to lift my head like you lifted the head of the, uh, the uh, cupbearer. You're going to get me out of this. And this was his theology. Please, look with me. He says, you're my shield. Arrows have hit me, but you're still my shield. God, I lost everything. But I found this. You are my glory. And then he says, I'm down and my head's down, but you will be the lifter of my head. This is real theology and real storm. How do I know this is theology? Because what David says in verse 6, look at verse 5, look what he says in verse 5. He says, I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. This is the picture. Follow with me. David is running away from his son and he's writing this. And in the midst of probably one of the worst times in his life, he goes to sleep. And he gets a good night's sleep. Some, some scholars think that he wrote verse 5 after he woke up. And he says, and he writes, you know, I lie down and sleep. And I woke up again. And I'm, I'm still alive because the Lord sustained me. And he goes to sleep. And I, I, I think about that. I go, you know, this shows 
that he knew who his God was because he went to sleep. Because I, I don't know about you. I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that have ins- insomnia. Me and Pastor Dave, we don't sleep much. We stay up. You know? And when I have any thought in my head, like anything, a like creative ideal to anything going wrong, I can sit at night and think about it for over and over again. Over again. You know, and then I wake up in the morning and think about it again. I mean, it's, it's a terrible disease. Now, the way I've transformed it is, you know, I actually try to pray instead of just thinking about it. But David says, as I have all this pain in my life, I know who you are, and I went to sleep. You know, sometimes when I, you know, like my wife, she goes to sleep, man. It's like she's like, all this stuff's going on. She's like, I'm tired. She's knocked out. I mean, there could be fire, there could be lightning, you know. Sometimes I literally stand over and go like, she just sleeps. My kids, they know my wife sleeps. So when they have bloody nose, when they're sick, or when they, you know, peed in their, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know pants or whatever, they don't do it anymore because they're old, but they don't even try to wake my wife up. They go right to me. They go, Daddy, my nose is bleeding. I go, why don't you wake up, Mom? He goes, she's sleeping. And I got to wake up and I got to go. And you know, it's something about people that could really sleep well. It's a blessing, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I got the blessing, right? But I'll tell you right now, this, this sleep is not escape. Some of you go to sleep because you escape. You got a lot of problem, and you go to sleep. And I don't want to pick on a friend, but there was a brother I knew named Don, and his brother is here. This guy used to sleep like crazy. When college, like when he had problems, he'd be gone for like four days. We're like, Don, what were you doing? sleeping you know i mean i'm not talking about escape sleep i'm talking about a sleep that comes because you know even though you're going through a hard time god you're my shield you know god you are the lifter of my head and even if i lose everything you are my glory i'm talking about right perspective of god and you go to sleep and you say lord you still sustain me Because this is who you are. Not only in good times, but in hard times. You are my shield. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Amen? Well, that is uh, kind of the um, uh, confidence expressed in his hard time. And then as we close, I want to end with deliverance proclaimed. In verse 7, David says this, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. As David is writing verse 7 through 8, he is writing in a way where he's not saying, you know, God, I woke up and I think you're going to deliver me. I think you're going to help me. Or God, I kind of have confidence. He's writing in a way that he's actually saying, I know it's going to happen. In fact, one scholar called it prophetic perfect. Okay, the way he writes this. And it's the same way where the Isaiah writes, unto us a child is born. When Isaiah wrote that, he wrote, even though he was writing about something that was going to happen thousands of years later when Jesus was going to be born, he wrote it as if it will happen. Okay, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a Savior is risen, uh, will be born. As Isaiah wrote this, he, even though it was going to happen thousands of years, he said it will happen. And just like that, David writes verse 7 and 8, in the midst of his difficult time, he says, God will deliver me. This is not a think about it situation. God will pull me through. God will make it. God will help me and deliver me. And Psalm 3 is a psalm that says, God will deliver you in the midst of the hardest times that you may face in your life. 
And as I think about this psalm, one of the cool things is that if you know the life of Jesus, do you know that Christ quoted the psalms and Isaiah, but there's a debate. Christ quoted psalms, some scholar says, more than any other scripture. Some say that Jesus lived in the psalms. And as, as I read Psalm 3, I'm like, man, that, I wonder if Jesus got comforted by Psalm 3 himself. Because he knew what it meant to have many, many, many enemies around him. Yet he said in his life and in his speech, he said, God, you know what? You are the lifter of my head. Even though, even though I want this cup to be taken away from me, Lord, Father, not my will, your will be done. And at the end of his life, remember what he says? He says, I will rise again. Right? I will rise again. I will come back. And I think this psalm expresses the life of Jesus Christ. That he will come back. And that there is a prophetic, God will deliver you from whatever difficulties that you face in your life. I think theology is shown in the midst of hard times. And I don't know what hard times that you're going through. But maybe in that hard time you see, is this what you think of God? Who is this God that you really believe in? I think uh, two weekends ago, over Memorial Weekend, I got to go to uh, this Vietnamese retreat. And uh, there's about like 10 Vietnamese CMNA churches that come together. And they had invited me like five years back and then four years back. And then I couldn't go for a while. And they asked me to come. And I I went. And it's it's, I love that retreat. Uh, Actually, I love doing retreats for, you know, non-Korean people, even though I love you Korean people, all right, I'm one of you, right? But I was there, and one of the reasons I love that retreat is I love Vietnamese food. I love that fish sauce, love pho, and, and they had a lot of that. You know, we were eating it, and it was just great. As well as there's some, some uh, of the leaders, it's a youth retreat that they had for like 15 years, and uh, they had some of the leaders that I've gotten to know throughout the years. And uh, I was just getting blessed preaching to them as well as, you know, receiving from them. And you know, one of the leaders, uh, he's kind of my age, around 43, uh, and uh, he's, uh, he had graduated. He's a consultant. His wife works. It seems like they're doing really well financially and stuff like that and all this thing. And then this year, he comes up to me. He says, Young, you know, uh, I decided this year to uh, actually go into seminary. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. You know, he's, he was a pastor's kid. And he's like, I really feel like God is calling me to go to seminary. And I was talking to him. And I go, how about your kids? And he's like, well, all my kids are in college. You know, and uh, one of them are about to graduate, and another one's like a junior. And I'm like, when did you get married, man? And he's like, really young. I go, how young? Don't worry, really young, you know. And I'm like, okay, how young? I'm trying to calculate it, you know. How could your kids be in college when my kids are in junior high? How young? He's like, leave me alone, really young. Just stuff happened, really young, you know. And I, I was talking to him, and there was another guy who was a medical doctor. He's also kind of a planner, and he's a little bit older than me, probably in the mid-40s. And he's been going to this retreat working with youth for like 15 years. And I go, don't you get tired? And he's like, no, this is... You know, he kept saying, this is kind of the lifeline to the Vietnamese youth, you know, in the East Coast area. Uh, but there's one lady that I really get blessed in. She's very soft-spoken. She's a, a missionary. And the four years back when I was there, uh, her 15-year-old son had leukemia. And uh, he, had, he came up, and he just discovered it. And he was sharing about how he had to go through chemotherapy. And uh, basically what happened was, you know, he, he died uh, within a year. A uh, year and a half, uh, he died. And, uh, you know, I was, and it's one of those situations that, you know, I was getting emails and keeping up with it, you know, kind of on the side. 
and you know we're talking and this lady was talking about all this mission work she's doing and you know, I want to ask her, like, how are you doing? But I haven't seen her in four years other than email. And it's kind of one of, like, I don't know what to ask. And then she goes, uh, do you know that my son, you know, that he, he passed away. He's with the Lord now. And she opened up the, you know, the door. So I'm like, you know, how are you doing? And uh, she looks at me. She's like, it's really hard. You know, and you know that saying where she says, like, I understand that saying that one of the worst things that can happen in your life is that you outlive one of your kids. Says really hard, and then she said, "You know, to be honest, Pastor Young, and she's much older than me, and she like really respects me for some reason." And she was, to be honest, Pastor Young, she said, "You know, if the Lord wasn't with me, I think our whole family would have gone to an insane aside, because we're all struggling so hard." You know, as as uh, her first son passed with leukemia, but then in the middle, she goes. But the Lord was with us. And, you know, like we have a new vision. We have a new heart. And she started sharing about how just recently uh, her and her daughter and her husband went to uh, uh, Malaysia. And they found out through different contacts that in Malaysia, some Vietnamese workers would wind up going to Malaysia to do contract work for three years. And they had these like factories of 3,000 Vietnamese workers, 700, one with 1,000. And they found out it's all over different areas of Malaysia. And uh, if you don't know, Vietnam is a communist country. You cannot go there and witness freely. And she found out that the Malaysian government, who also has all these restrictions about sharing the gospel, said, you know, these guys are not Malaysian. They're just here for three years. You can do with it whatever you want. And she found these kind of Vietnamese camp. And she and her husband and her daughter and a few other people went there. And she found out that these people, because they're having such a hard time leaving their country and working in this tough condition, that their hearts were told. I mean, she's like sharing this with me. And she's like, Pastor Young, I mean, like, I felt like God gave me new life, even though this hard time. And she goes, and she, she said, one camp that she went, she's like, I saw a miracle. And I'm like, what's going on? And she said, she shared with 75 ladies. Uh, who was working at this factory, and she shared the gospel. And she, she said, every time I talk to him about how I struggled through my, with my uh, son passing away and stuff, she said, it opens people's heart. And there were these 75 ladies who was hearing the message of the gospel and my struggles in life and how I found God in the struggle. And she said, afterwards, I asked them, you know, if you want to receive Christ, please step forward. And she looked at me and she goes, you know what happened? She said, all 75 women came forward. And they all wanted to receive Christ. And she said, I don't know if all of them really know, but she said, I never saw, any time I asked this, 75 of them all stepping forward. And she says, God is using the tragedy, difficulty of my son to share the gospel with people whose hearts are broken. And I remember looking at her and going, man, she knows her God because she found her God even in the hard times. And... Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know if, what hard time you're going through. But I'll tell you, those are the times you get to know what your theology is made out of. I, I just shared with you in the beginning that, you know, some people that I really, really love decided to say, you know, Pastor Young, I've been with you for 10 years, but I think it's time for me and you to phase apart. And I'll tell you, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty relational guy. I, it ripped my heart. I mean, it's been, actually my heart's been ripping since January and I'll tell you some of the stuff that came out of my mouth when it was happening. And I'll tell you, personally, emotionally, I don't have anything. I don't have a problem. I mean, I can eat dinner with them. There's no problem. But, it's, you know, it just happened. And I was saying things like, you know, it's their problem. And I remember my wife just sitting me down going like, are you a pastor? 
think about what you're saying. And I was like, I struggled. I realized, man, what view of God do I have? You know what I mean? Instead of really pastoring them, no matter where they're at, what view of God do I have? And I had to struggle a lot to see what view of God do I have? Who is my God when I'm going through a hard time? I want to ask you that question. Who is your God as you go through your life? Amen? Let's pray. You've been sitting for a while, so as the band goes up, uh, can you uh, just stand? You know, I don't think you have to find out your theology of God when one of your sons go through cancer or somebody goes through cancer. And I don't know what it is, but right now in my life, there's so many people in my church, uh, no, you know, f- friends and parents that's struggling with cancer. It's just scary. But as we go to this retreat, as we're at this retreat, I just want to ask you, it's easy for us to express who God is as we sing and as we are in this place. And that's great. I think that's part of incubating our theology. But when you went through that hard time, I don't know when it was. Maybe it was before this retreat. Maybe you're going through it right now. Number one, I want to ask you, are you lamenting? Are you expressing it? Saying, God, I'm in pain. I'm in confusion. Lord, I, I don't feel like Christianity is satisfying me. What's wrong? Are you being real with God? Are you expressing your lament? Really, honestly, reverently, but honestly. And then in that, whatever you're going through, who is your God? Who is this Jesus? Is He your shield? Do you see that even though there has been some blows in your life, that He is shielding you from the greater blows? That no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And that He is the way out. And is He your glory? And I just really want to challenge some of us right now that maybe aren't going through a hard time. And you have a lot of different glories. I'm not saying to you, sell your car, sell your house, sell your great job. No. But I want to ask you, is He your glory? What happens if that thing that you were glorying over is removed. Is He your glory? And do you know that no matter what we go through, that He will lift your head? Lord, I just invite Your Spirit. And I really ask You that You will remind us that You hear our pain. You hear our cries. And I pray that each one of us in this room, wherever we are spiritually doing well or struggling, that one thing that you can do for us is help us to be honest and to let it out, to express what is going on in my heart with you. And God, I pray that in that honesty, we can recapture, reestablish, you're our shield. You are our glory. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will lift my head. And God, I pray, like as Christ prophetically proclaimed, I will rise in the third day. I will come back. That we will be people that understand that what God has promised of deliverance, it will happen. And I pray 
that we will walk in that kind of confidence. Lord, open our hearts. Help us to re-examine our, our theology of you. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray especially for some of us that are in pain. I pray that they will remember who their God is. Not just how they want to get out of it. That they will remember who this Jesus is that died for them. I pray that they will go to the cross and once again know and know that He laid down His life for us. Come Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts. Let's uh, sing this next song, Jesus Christ, when I think about your sacrifice as a prayer to the Lord.